Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. How you guys doing today? We say this a lot, but I really want you guys to understand this and, and believe this and know this, that that you know, different people hold different positions in a church, right? But we're all valuable and necessary parts of the church. That, that there's no superstars that have capes and, oh, well, God's just given them more of an anointing on their life. Every one of us is anointed by God. Every single one of us. You know, you hear people say, well, they're just so anointed. No, there's just somebody who walks in the anointing that God's given them. They've discovered why God put them on this earth and they're actually living a life that lines up with His purpose for theirs. And so it's not a special magic juice somewhere that you drink and suddenly you become the anointed of God. Go ahead, just rip it open once quickly. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but but it's, it's realizing this, that, that Jesus said, as the Father sends me into the world, so I also send you. And Jesus said, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach good news, bring sight to the blind, set the captive free. You know, proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And so if Jesus needed to be anointed by God to come into this world and live the life that he lived, what chance do you and I have that we're going to live the life that we're called to live without that same anointing on our lives from God? And it's not as if he sent Jesus with an anointing and then left you and I here to struggle or flounder or try to maybe find someone who is anointed that can lay hands on me so I can get anointed too. That's, that's not how it works. The Spirit of God is upon you and he's anointed you. Some people realize it and live as though it's true. Some people don't, but it doesn't change the fact that every one of us is anointed by God for him. So um, so with that being said, like we're glad that you're here this morning because we, we pray like, you know, God, send the people here to this church that you want here at this church to accomplish the things through us that you want to accomplish and so that we can be the body of Christ that you had in mind when you started this church. We didn't start this church with a plan. You know, we didn't sit down with a business plan and say, we're going to do this and this and this will cause this to happen and that will cause that to happen. We were handed a building. There was a few people here who felt like, you know, God was doing something and we went from there and, and, and it's become along the way more evident why God was doing what he was doing and what he's putting together here. But we always pray, God, send the people here that you want here to accomplish the things that you want to accomplish to this city. And, and so when you come to church, like don't feel like a baby bird coming with your beak open, hoping that the magic man of God fills it with something. Understand that there's, there's a good chance God's going to speak through me today something that's going to touch your heart. In fact, I know he will. Um, but that you come here with something. You come here with something to offer. That you come here not as helpless little birds hoping that the, that the dad eagle or the mother eagle is going to give you something to eat, you know. But that you actually come here carrying the very spirit of God living and dwelling inside of you. That you have something to offer to people. That God wants to use you just like He wants to use me and the people on the worship team. Mr. Jordan, all the people that pray for people. He wants to use every single person for His glory. And so we want to see you guys discover what it is that He created you for. What it is that He's put inside of you. And see you grow into those people and become those people. And live out what God's called you to live. Because every one of you is anointed. And so... um, so we've been talking about covenant. It, it's a big deal, isn't it? They were talking about it last week. How many of you guys last week when we, when we started talking about that realized, like, man, this is a much bigger deal than I ever uh, realized. Yeah, I, I, I'll be honest. I think that every person who gets married should have to sit under a teaching of covenant before they get married. I think that it's that big of a deal because basically the, the, the marriage ceremony that we have is based on covenant that God made with man. And it's us mirroring the covenant that God made with man with another human being. It's the closest form of relationship in the, in, in the human realm that we have to the relationship that we have with Father God. And, and I'll be honest, I didn't know what I was doing when I got married. I knew I wanted to marry my wife. I knew I was in love with her. I knew from the, the, the third day that we hung out together, I told my friend I'm going to marry her. I fell in love with her. Um, she took a little while and resisted God. For, but finally, she caught on sooner. You know, I'm just kidding. Um, no, but you know, it, it was like I knew I wanted to marry her. I knew I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. I knew I loved her like crazy. And I wanted to be one with her. But I didn't understand the steps and why we were doing what we were doing. And, you know, last week we talked about the walls of blood, how that would pass through the walls of blood and the significance of that. And just to, to point out how, how mirrored that is to, to the covenant that we have with God um, that we show through marriage. When you walk in, they ask you, bride side, groom side. 
And so you're seated by whose relationship you are. You have the mother, the blood relatives of and the father and the grandparents and all the blood relatives of the groom on one side and all the blood relatives of the bride on the other side. And as the groom walks down and takes his place and as the bride walks down and takes her place, they pass through walls on each side of them of people, of blood relatives, one on the other side. And you're entering into a covenant that's the same as when God passed through the walls of blood. It's the same as when the Israelites passed through the walls of blood, when they walked through the doorpost that were smeared with blood on the, on the lintel and on the sides and they passed through and they entered into covenant relationship whereby they were blessed by God and, and passed over by cursing. And then we come to Jesus and there He is hanging on a cross. And we talked about this last week, but if you weren't here, Jesus hangs on a cross and they didn't tie Him to the cross like they normally would. Instead, they used nails and they drove nails through His wrist. And there He is, the man who said, I am the door. No man comes to the Father except through Me hangs there with blood from his forehead, from a crown that was shoved onto his head. That wasn't what they normally did. That was just for him. And the whole time they thought they were being cruel, they're fulfilling prophecy as the door to the Father is covered in blood on the top and on the sides. And we pass through and we enter into that same covenant relationship with God. And that's just the first step. It's a big, big deal. The greater our understanding of covenant is, the greater we understand the relationship that we have with God. And and, and here's the amazing thing to never forget in all of this. It was His idea. It wasn't something we came up with and said, hey God, we've got a pretty good plan figured out. If you'd sign on, that would be great. It was something He came up with. It was His idea. So today we're going to be talking about another part of the covenant, another step of the covenant. And um, we're going to be talking about the cutting of flesh. We talked about this and I showed you guys a little bit at the end last week. But a lot of times when, when people would make covenant, there would always be a cut that was made. and It was a cutting of something that bonded people together. And so what they would do in a lot of times, like we showed last week, is one person would cut their wrist or their arm right here and the other person would cut their wrist or their arm right there. And they would grasp hold of each other. And they would hold those wounds together until the blood that flowed from my body and the blood that flowed from your body flowed together. And my blood stopped being my blood and your blood stopped being your blood and it became our blood. We became united that way. And we showed how they would grab each other and why the cut wasn't done on the hand as much as it was done on the wrist. And, and they would grab onto each other. And so I'm going to use you again, Harrison, one more time just to show anyone that wasn't here last week. But, but they would cut their wrist and then they would grab onto each other. And they didn't shake hands like this because when you're shaking hands with somebody, if I let go, there's no more holding on. The relationship and the bond ends the minute that I let go. But they would grab each other's arm. And now it doesn't matter if Harrison wants to let go of my hand or not. I've still got a hold of him. And God reached down and grabbed hold of humanity in this way. That they said, listen, it doesn't matter if you let go. This is not based on your strength and your ability to hold on to me. I've got a hold of you. And you can let go if you want to. But I promise you, I'm holding on. And my grip's so much better. So much stronger. And there may be times where your grip got a little loose or where your hand started to pull away a little bit and you felt like you were so far from God. And, 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 the, and, and sometimes even religion will say, well, you know, if you feel far from God, guess who moved? No, that's not true. If you feel far from God, tell your feelings to be quiet and tell them what the Word of God says, that I'll never leave you. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. It doesn't matter if you feel close to me or not. I live and dwell inside of you because I wasn't at all any more happy to dwell in earthly tents made by the hands of human. But now I make my dwelling in people. So you may feel far from me. That's why you're called to live by faith and not by sight. But I don't feel close to God. That's because you haven't spent time with Him and you haven't acknowledged the truth that was always there all along. As soon as you turn your eyes towards Him, you realize He's been there the whole time. He never left you. He never forsake you because He is faithful and He is true. And when He promised to never leave you or forsake you, He meant it. Because His Word, He's elevated above His own name. So if He said it, it's binding. It's truthful and you can count on it. That's why it's so important that we don't live by our feelings because so many times our feelings are so opposite of what God's Word says. And if we get caught up by living by our feelings, then we're only as good as we feel. You know, you're at the mercy then of, of, of your feelings, your emotions. People can treat you badly and suddenly you're having a bad day because somebody didn't do something that they should have done. And now you feel bad, so you are bad. And now the, you're, you're just basically a man that's tossed to and fro. And the best chance you have of having a good day is that everybody around you is nice to you and that everything goes your way and that all the stoplights are green. 
Let some one of those or all of those go wrong in a morning and suddenly the day is just shot and ruined. You wake up in the morning and, oh, thank you God for this day. Wake up in the morning. Thank you, God, that I'm a son, that I'm a daughter. Thank you, God, that today is going to be an amazing day because I live my life full of you. Your presence dwells inside of me. That the very Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead now lives and dwells inside of me. And the life that I live is no longer my own, but Christ who lives in me. That I am the hope of glory to the world that I'm going to encounter today because you said that. That Christ in me was the hope of glory to the world. That there's every opportunity today that you're going to send me out into the world and you're going to use me and put me on display to glorify yourself and to bring glory to your name, God. And I can't wait to be part of it. And I'm going to go happen to my day and not let my day happen to me. And you walk out the door and then the first thing that goes wrong, you look at it and you say, nice try. That guy cuts you off and the, the enemy starts telling you and your flesh starts starting to rise up and say, oh, he did that on purpose. He saw you there. You know what? I, I used to do this. I used to think everybody on the road was out to get me, right? So, so when I would go to pass somebody, if they sped up, it wasn't because they just sped up because we were going down a hill. It was because they sped up because I was going to pass them and they don't want me to pass them. And so I would judge them without even knowing them. And then I would base my feelings on the judgment that I made that may or may not have been based on truth. And here's the point. Why wouldn't we just hope and think the best like love does? Love hopes all things, believes all things. Someone says something to you and there's two ways you can take it and one of them leads to joy and the other leads to anger. Take it the one that leads to joy. What's the worst case scenario? They really meant to make you angry? Guess what? They lost because you allowed yourself to be joyful. If you can take it two ways, take it the one that leads you to joy. Take it the way that leads you into Christ-likeness. Take it into the one that leads you into fullness of love for people and joy. Worst case scenario, you were wrong and you blessed somebody that wasn't trying to bless you. But I say bless those who curse you. And now you've just lived out the words of Jesus without even trying to. You didn't say, well, they're trying to curse me, so I'm going to bless them. Bless God. (laughs) Right? If you've ever heaped coals on your enemy because... Right? If you've ever loved them to heap coals, you probably didn't love them. Well, the Bible says if you just love your enemies, it's like heaping coals, so I'm going to love them. You may have missed the point. That's the Bible pointing out a truth, not giving you directions for how to put coals on people's heads. Okay? So... Maybe it's not a result of getting up every day and and checking every reaction with what Jesus said, but it's actually getting up in the morning and deciding on a mindset that lines up with what Jesus said and then looking back on the end of your day and realizing that you followed the words of Jesus because you woke up mindful of what He said. So you in the end have blessed those who cursed you, but you didn't do it because, you know, well, the Bible says I have to. You did it because your default setting is to bless people whether they're trying to bless you or not. That's what it's like to become love. That's what it's like to become like Him. To actually become. You see, it's not act like Him. Acting like Him. You know, an actor is somebody who really isn't playing a part to make it look like they are. We're not called to be actors. We're called to be like Him. So don't get up in the morning and and base your day on... Well, well, what would Jesus do? Wake up in the morning and realize Jesus would do this and go do that all day long. This is what Jesus would do. He would love people. He would bless those who cursed Him. He would bless those who would spitefully use Him. He would love people even if they didn't love Him in return. He would speak the truth to people even at the risk of that person not liking Him and thinking He's cool. And if they started to react that way and walk away, He wouldn't change the truth just to make them come back. See, sometimes our idea of love is so much different than His idea of love. Sometimes our idea of love looks a lot more like flattery. Right? Where we're gauging what we're saying based on how they may respond. And so before we talk to the people, we're already in our heads trying to figure out, if I say this, what might they say? And then we actually do or don't do based on what we perceive their reaction may be. Well, what if they get angry? What if they don't? What if they don't like me? What if they do? What if they don't believe it? What if they believe it? 
See, the point is, is it's not up to you to figure out how they're going to react and then do it or not do it based on what you think. It's up to you to actually love them enough to say, even if they reject it, I'm still going to tell them the truth because I love them and they need to hear this and they need to know this. And it may not be the most comfortable thing for me to do and I may have to swallow a little bit of my pride and it may involve me taking a risk and going out of my comfort zone, but I'm going to love them enough that I'm not going to love myself more than them. I'm actually going to love them more than I love myself or at least as much as I love myself. And I'm going to lay down my life for them. I'm going to lay down my right to be comfortable. I'm going to lay down my right to look cool. I'm going to lay down my right to be prideful. And I'm going to lay all of that down and I'm actually just going to love them and let them make up their mind and trust that God will be faithful to begin something and finish something in them whether I see it or not. And I don't walk away from the conversation and think it was a failure because I didn't immediately see what I wanted to see. I don't judge my day at the end of the day. Was it a failure or if if nobody said this prayer or nobody repeated after me? I don't judge my day if whether it was a failure. My day was good if I was obedient and lived the life that I was called to live. The results are in His hands. I lay down in the bed at the end of the night and the only thing that I have to think about is, God, did I, was I obedient to you today? Did I trust you today? Did I obey what you've called me to do? If I did, then I trust that you did everything through me that you wanted to do and you will accomplish everything in my life that you want to accomplish. So the, the cutting of flesh, right? And so the, in this covenant that God made with Abraham, and remember we talked about why He chose Abraham, you know, it was because He was faithful he put faith in god it was credited to him as righteousness or it was credited to him as right standing so now he's in right standing with god and he's capable of becoming a human being who will enter into covenant with god and god promises it will be an everlasting covenant that will be carried on through to the seed which is christ so the promises that were made to abraham and the inheritance that would be to his seed is to christ according to romans and so that's why it's so important for us because we are what in christ so the promises and the blessing that is to him, those who are in Christ are made to you and to I. And it's probably important that we know what they are and it's probably important that we allow God's word over us and what God's promised us to speak louder than our circumstances. Because his people perish for a lack of knowledge. I'm going to keep saying that. My people. Not heathen people that don't know me. He says, my people. Good people. People who know him perish, have destruction, have things destroyed, have loss in their lives because of a lack of knowledge, because they don't know who I am and who I want to be for them. And they allow themselves to settle for a life so much lower than what Jesus came and died for them to live. My people. It's easy to think, you know, yeah, put that off on the people that don't believe in God. But God said, my people, they perish for lack of knowledge. So God chooses Abraham, and He chooses a little bit different in the cutting of flesh with Abraham. If you turn your Bibles to Genesis um, chapter 17, we're reading from 9 to about 14. We're going to jump all around today. This whole series is going to be Old Old Testament to New Testament, Old Testament to New Testament, because we always want to tie the things that God was saying and what He did in the Old to what He said and what He's doing in the New. Um, So Genesis chapter 17, verse 9 God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in the house or who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your descendants, a servant who is born in your house or who is bought with your, who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's alive. God, that, it, that it's not sterile words written on paper. God, that, that as we read and as we understand that we hear Your voice and that You speak to us. Holy Spirit, I ask that You speak through me today. That it would be straight from the heart of God to our ears. That our ears would be open to hear, our our minds to be able to understand. We have the wisdom of Christ. I pray today that we would use His wisdom to understand these things. That our hearts would be good ground, that would receive the seed of Your Word, God, that it would produce fruit in our lives. 
God, that we would be on display, that the world would taste and see that you're good. I thank you for that, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. So God chose to have man be circumcised. He said, this is the sign that will be the cutting of the flesh that will, sur- that will signify the relationship between you and I, this covenant that's between me and you. And circum means circle, size means cut. So it was a circle cut, right? A circle so that when Abraham would look down, he would see a circular cut and it would un- remind him of God, that with God is, there is no end, there is no beginning. It's just a circle that goes on and on. And, and the cutting part was so that the cutting of flesh was done. And, and we do this in marriage, right? when we take a ring and we put it on each other's fingers it's a it's a circle cut from something that's indestructible right from gold which is indestructible by fire and by trial and so he, he that's a, a, a another way that we link the the marriage covenant with the covenant that god made with abraham is that this this would be a symbol and, and so every time abraham would see this it would remind him of the covenant that he had forever with god It means something, right? It means something. Having a wedding band on means something. This is not just a piece of jewelry that my wife placed on my finger when we made our our marriage vows so that it would detract or or, or steer other women away. It wasn't like that, right? Like, you know, it meant something. It meant that I am sealing these vows. This is the seal of these vows that we've made to each other. I'm sealing this with a ring. And just like this ring has no end and no beginning, so does the vows that we've made with each other. They have no end now. From now on, your life is no longer your own. The day that you got married and the day that you entered into covenant relationship with another human being... And you stated that all I have is yours, all you have is mine. I give you my life, you give me your life. And you you become one person, the two become one. You now no longer belong to yourself. Your life is no longer your own, but you now exist as one person in two different bodies, indivisible. In the eyes of God, you're one flesh. Two become one flesh. That means something. Same with this covenant It meant something to Abraham. It meant that there was a promise from God that Abraham, your life is now no longer your own. And it was a promise from God that my life is now no longer my own, but I give you my life, Abraham. And I take your life into me. And at the time, Abraham didn't understand how that was going to be possible. And throughout the ages, a lot of people didn't understand how this would be possible, that God would take man into him and put himself into man. And then finally, when Christ comes and fulfills the covenant as God... As God said, then there comes the understanding of, okay, now I can see what God was talking about back then. And so he promises this to Abraham and he says that you'll be circumcised and this will be a symbol of the covenant. This will be a promise. Everything that I have said to you, everything I have promised to you, that this seals that. And every time you see this, this is a marking on your body that reminds you that you're in covenant with the living God. Reminds you of the promises that I've made and also the promises that you've made to me. And it will go on for generation to generation. This will keep happening so that every male that is born that is of your descendant will be grafted into this thing and that will mark them and seal them as being part of the covenant that we've made. It meant something to them so much so that, that when we fast forward a little bit to the story of David in 1 Samuel seventeen twenty six, David comes onto the scene. We all know the story. Here's God. I mean, here's Goliath down in the valley challenging God and telling them, send down a champion to fight with me. And look at David's response. Then David spoke to the man who were standing by him saying what will be done for the man who kills this philistine and takes away the reproach from israel for who is this uncircumcised philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living god later on in verse 36 your servant has killed both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living god notice whenever david talks about goliath he points out one thing He doesn't say this great man of war. He doesn't say this giant. He doesn't say this guy with a spearhead that's bigger than my forearm. He doesn't say any of that stuff. He notices one thing that matters to him and one thing that gives him confidence. And he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? In other words, who is this man who is not in covenant with God that is standing here challenging the armies of the living God? And then he, 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 later he's talking to Saul and Saul's telling him, you can't go fight with him. He's been a, a, a man of war since the days of your youth, since the days of his youth. And he's killed people bigger than you. And look how big he is. And they tell him all about the armor and all that stuff. And, and David looks at him and he says, listen, God delivered me from the lion and from the bear. Surely this uncircumcised Philistine, he'll do the same thing too. Again, he points it out. Why? Because all that mattered to David was this. I am in covenant with the God of the universe and he is not. I have the promises of God over my life. He doesn't. 
So if we come to battle, it doesn't matter how big I am. It doesn't matter how strong I am. It doesn't matter how capable I am. What matters is is that one who is bigger, stronger, and more capable is in covenant with me and has made promises to protect me. And so if we go into battle, it's not me that's fighting. It's the one I'm in covenant fighting for me. And he tells him this. He says, listen, when when the lion came and he took the lamb, I went after him. I always thought that, I pictured it like, like David defended the lambs from the lion, you know, until I read that through and I realized that it actually says that the lion came and took a lamb and ran off with it. And he says, I went after him and I killed him and I took the lamb and I brought it back. And same thing with the bear. He says, when the bear came and took one, I left the sheep. I went after the bear and I killed it. Why? Because David understood he was called by God to be where he was. He was serving his father faithfully. He's in covenant relationship with God. If, a, if something comes and tries to take something that belongs to him, that thing is in trouble because it doesn't have the covenant that David has. So he goes after it. And I think sometimes we... We get this picture that being in covenant with God and being in relationship with God and being born again with God means that we could sit back and and do something that David didn't do and say, well, you know, I'm in covenant with God, so that lion has to bring that lamb back. David doesn't say that. He doesn't say, because I was in relationship, covenant relationship with God, I sat there and I waited and God brought the lamb back. He says, I understand my covenant with God is that He'll provide and protect for me if I trust Him and obey Him. And because of that, I went and I actually fought and I got back what was taken from me. It wasn't a passive thing. It wasn't he sat there and said, "Uh, excuse me, lion. That's right. Bring it back. (laughs) That's not what he did. He didn't lift his loincloth and say, wait a minute. Bring it back. That's right. He didn't do that. He didn't do the same thing with Goliath. He didn't walk down into the valley and lift his skirt. And just say, hey, uh, in case you didn't know, and watch Goliath fall dead. That's not what he did. It says that he ran to the battle. Because he understood the covenant that he had. Don't sit back in life and think just because you have a covenant with God that you don't play an active role in it and that if God wants it to happen, it will. Listen, God wants a lot of things to happen that people sit back and don't take their part in and don't get up and go and do the things He's called them to do and they can't point the finger at Him and blame Him and say, well, I guess God didn't want it to happen then. God anointed Saul to rule over the people. Put his presence on him. Put a mantle upon him. The same mantle he put upon David. What was the difference between the two of them? One understood it. The other ran from it. One understood that God was in covenant relationship with him and what that meant. The other was seeking after something he'd already been given. Never understood who he was and what God had called him to be. It wasn't God's fault. There's going to be times in life, you guys, where there's going to be things that happen and hopefully our understanding of the covenant that we have with God is great enough that we understand, wait a minute, they're not just messing with me. It's not just about me and what I can do. They're actually challenging God because I'm in Christ and if something comes against me, it's coming against Christ and He's promised that He'll fight through me but I have to still go and fight the battle. There will be times when this happens, right, in our lives. And if we have an understanding of covenancy, that was why David wasn't afraid. All the men that were standing around the fire with him were circumcised. They were all children of Israel. They were all circumcised, which meant they were all in covenant with God the same way David was. He had nothing that they didn't have except this thing, that he believed the promises of God and he put faith in the covenant that God had made with him and he acted upon it. That's why there's so many times we see people and we say, well, they're just so anointed. They just understand the anointing that's on their life and they live as though it's true. David, well, he had such a great covenant with God. He had the same covenant with God as every other guy that was standing on the hill for 40 days terrified. He was just the first one that actually believed it enough to allow it to influence his actions and live as though it was true. And he runs to the battle and kills the giant. It wasn't as if the circumcision made him faster or stronger. Okay, let's be real. It wasn't like, well, because he was circumcised, he was better with a sling. That had nothing to do with it. It was because he was circumcised, he understood that he was in covenant relationship with the God of the universe and that God had called him to be king and he hadn't sat on the throne yet. And so if God had called him to be king and he hadn't sat on the throne and there was a man trying to kill him, it was going to be a bad day for that man. 
You have to know the promises of God over your life and then live as though they're true because there'll be times in your life where that'll be the very thing that keeps you walking towards where God's called you to walk. Surely I would have dismayed if I did not believe that I would see the promises of God in the land of the living. Would have dismayed. I would have been despaired if I did not believe that I would see. In other words, there was plenty of times when I could have given up. There were plenty of things that made it look like I was never going to be the person that God called me to be. And if I would have allowed that to influence me, I would have just been in despair. But I believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And I never gave up. So the... Here's the thing about a scarred wrist. The scarred wrist, you can hold up your hand, right? Everyone can see that you're in covenant with somebody. But God doesn't choose to put it somewhere where everybody can see it. In fact, He chooses to put it in the one place that He covered man. Remember in Genesis 3-7, then the eyes of of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. So man sins and now he's ashamed and so he makes something to cover his shame. And then a little bit later in Genesis it says, The Lord made garments of skin for Adam his wife and clothed them. So God comes and He covers the sin of Adam. He covers the shame of Adam with the shedding of innocent blood and with skins of an animal that He made. And then He chooses to put the mark of His circumcision, the mark of His covenant, underneath something that He chose to cover. Why? Because the, the, the actual sign of the, of the circumcision was not what was supposed to identify people as being in covenant with God for other people to see. As far as the rest of the world was concerned. See, every time you were alone and when you took your loin covering off, you had to be alone in order to do that. It was a shameful for man to be naked in front of another man, right? Remember when Moses' son saw him naked, it was shameful for them. So, in other words, this was something that only you would know about. This was something that only you could testify to, the circumcision. There had to be something else that identified them. And if we turn in our Bibles, we'll see what the original intent of God's heart for His people to be identified was. Exodus 33. Verse 14, Moses is talking with God. He's having one of his famous talks. And he's, he's, he's conversing with God. And, and in, in 33, 14, it says, And he said, My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, Moses said to God, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing which you have spoken of, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Moses says, listen, we're your people and we understand this. All it takes is us going and bathing and we understand that we're in relationship with you, that we have a covenant with you. But that's not enough for the people of the world because we're not going to walk through this life naked. We have to have something that distinguishes us from the people of this earth. And that thing is your presence. He said, God, if your presence doesn't go with us, I'm not going to go. Because if your presence doesn't go with us, people aren't going to be able to tell that we are your people. There will be nothing that distinguishes us from the people of the earth. Because when two men are standing side by side and they both have their clothes on, there's no way you can look at one and tell whether he's circumcised and not the other. There had to be something else. There had to be something better that would differentiate. And Moses says it's the presence of God. He says this. He says, I love this. Is it not by your going with us so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth. The presence of God in the lives of His people was what God intended to distinguish them from the rest of the world. It wasn't for them to walk around lifting up their loincloths to show people that they were in covenant relationship. It was the way that they lived their lives. It was the presence of God on their lives. It was the holiness that was on them that was supposed to distinguish them from the people of God. He never intended for outward appearance to be the thing that distinguished them, ever. It was never meant to be. It was not God's plan originally for outward appearance to be the thing that distinguished them from the people of God. It still isn't His intention, right? He still doesn't have a dress code for Christians. There's not a certain hairstyle that you have to do. I know a guy that is getting mixed up in a church and they're telling him that he has to grow his hair to a certain length and part it a certain way. Because that way they can distinguish who's of the church and who's not. I promise. It's not that crazy. There were churches out there not too long ago that told you you couldn't wear earrings or have makeup or everyone would think that you were worldly and no one would be able to tell whether you were a Christian or not. It 
yeah, but the book of Leviticus, he says, you know, not to, to, to cut your hair and don't clip the edges of your beard and, and don't mark your skin with tattoos and, and do all these things and don't plant crops that are mixed in your fields and don't wear fabric that's made of a blended garment. That's always a funny one to me, right? The guy standing there wearing, a, uh, wearing polyester and cotton is telling you that you shouldn't have tattoos because of what the book of Leviticus says, right? But this is the point. That was never God's intention for His people to be distinguished from the world that way. That was when the priests uh, had lost their fear of God and their lives weren't showing who they were. Their actions didn't show who they were. And so to distinguish them from the people of the world, God gave them a list of do's and don'ts, a list of dress codes and what they could do with their hair and what they couldn't do with their beards and that they couldn't do this and they couldn't do that. The way they planted their crops so that everyone that drove by or walked by or rode by or whatever could see that there was no fields that had two different kinds of crops in it. They would only be one kind of crop in each field and you would know that's a person of God because they were marked by that stuff. That was the last resort. That was because of people's wickedness. It was not what God wanted to distinguish them. He never intended for it to be that way. He never intended for you to have to dress a certain way, talk a certain way, for people to be able to tell that you were a Christian. He didn't ever put in the dress code of khakis and flannel. Right? Or the new dress code of affliction shirts and affliction jeans so that everyone knows you're a youth pastor. I'm in a a rant just for a second. Please don't take this the wrong way. But, But listen to me. You can always tell the people that are trying to be relevant because they're always the people that are a little bit behind relevant. It's because by the time they figure out what they're shooting for and they start hitting it, the world has already moved on. Why wouldn't we actually live cutting edge and just be the people that God's called us to be and maybe we'll actually be ahead and the world will be playing catch up with us for once rather than always trying to make sure that we look just like the world and we act just like the world and we do things just like the world and so we all dress a certain way and we act a certain way and we do everything a certain way and it's always just a little bit behind. I told my wife that I'm a bow hunter. Sorry if that offends you, but I, I like to, to shoot animals with my bow and I enjoy eating them. I know, you get your meat from the store so no animals have to die, right? But, um, but I enjoy it. And, and so, so I was watching a hunting video the other day. I know. That, I turn into a redneck come September. It happens. All right. I grew up surfing in South Florida. I moved here. I discovered bow hunting. It's the closest thing I found to it that I love to do. And and so I was watching a hunting video and I told my wife, I said, look at all the guys on the hunting video. They're all wearing like baggy jeans, you know, but like three years ago, they were all wearing skinny jeans that were Wranglers. And apparently someone said, man, and they were all wearing like these designed tribal shirts and stuff, you know, and apparently somebody went to them and said, look, you guys, we, if we're going to appeal to younger people, we have to look more like they look. And so let's change up our dress code a little bit. But the problem is, is that they changed the dress code to what people were in about three years ago. And so they look really out of it and really behind. If they would have just stayed in the Wranglers, they were already back in style. No one would have known, right? The point I'm trying to make is just be who God's called you to be and stop trying to be somebody else and it will be good enough. Trust that maybe God's given you wisdom that you can't see an example of in the world yet because He's called you to be creative. You, you, you can do it. You can, you, I can sit in a restaurant and, and pick out youth pastors. It's a game me and Patty, Patty play. My wife says she doesn't play. <laughs> I just dragged her into my stuff, right? I'll hear about that later. But we're one flesh, so if I do it, you're doing it too. <laughs> right? There's a covenant there. But see, this is the point. Is God never intended for us to be identified by what was on the outside. He intended for us to be identified by what was on the inside. He didn't intend for us to have to lift up our loincloths for people to know we were in covenant relationship with Him. He intended that we would live our lives in a way that the presence of God went with us everywhere we went, that our actions lined up with who God called us to be, and that people without even knowing why would know there's something different. My wife had lunch with a girl last week who's been coming to church for a while and, and, and 
she was saying that, you know, she's just growing so much. And, and the first time that me and Patty met with her, she said, I don't even know if I can hear God. And now she was talking about all this other stuff and how God speaks to her. And, 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 and she said she was talking to somebody the other day and she said she was just telling him about what God's done in her life. And the guy just started weeping and crying. He said, because it's so real coming from you. I can tell you're not just saying this stuff that it's real. And then another friend came to her and said, I want to start going to church with you because I've seen such a huge difference in your life. And I want to change my life too. See, that's how it should be. It shouldn't be that we have to go around lifting up loincloths. It shouldn't be that we have to go around telling people, well, it's because I'm in covenant with God, so you should notice a difference in my life. They should come to you and ask you what's different. Because if nothing's changed, then nothing's changed. If you can get born again and your life looks really, really close to the life you lived before you met God, congratulations, you're the first one. Because what you're saying is apart from God, I was living a life that was so close to what God's called me to live that all I needed was to say a prayer to make it official. You were taken from the kingdom of darkness and we were placed in the kingdom of His Son whom He loves. The old passed away. Behold, everything became new. There should be a drastic difference in our lives when everything passes away and all things become new. When we go from living in one kingdom whose ruler is the enemy into another kingdom whose ruler is Jesus who's the head. There should be a drastic difference. It shouldn't be something that you have to put on a bumper sticker to tell people. It should be something that people come up to you and ask you. should be something different about us. Moses got it. He said, listen, I, I, I don't want to put on a shirt that says, here we come, we're the army of God. I want you to go with us and your presence to be with us because if you are, then everyone will know that we're different. There should be something about our lives in the same way that we tell God, listen, God, I, I'm, I know you're calling me to go, but I just want you to know this. I'm not going there unless you promise to go with me because if I don't have you with me, then I'm just walking there by myself and I'm on my own and I don't want to do that ever. I asked God that when He made me the pastor of the church. I said, God, I'll get up every single morning that You tell me to and I'll speak the words that You declare and I just ask this one thing and I'm going to demand this of You that You always give me something to speak that I'm never standing up there speaking my own words. Because if I can't stand here and know that what I'm telling You is from Him, then I don't want to do it because I would hate to stand up here knowing that I'm just spitting my own words out there and hoping that it hits and hoping that it sticks. So far, He's been faithful. He's been faithful. So what does this mean for us today? Abraham was circumcised as a symbol of the covenant, right? So do we need to be circumcised as a symbol of the covenant? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7.17, Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each one, in this manner let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches. Was any man called when he was already, un- already circumcised? He's not to become uncircumcised. I don't even know how that's possible. It's a good thing he said he's not to. Has anyone been called into, circum- into uncircumcision? In uncircumcision, he's not to be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. What matters is keeping the commandments of God. Each man must remain in the condition in which he was called. So Paul, they have this big argument because you got to realize back then this was just after they came out of the old covenant. This was while the new covenant was just being established and preached on the earth. And so people had a lot of questions. And one thing that they were asking him in every church he went to was, okay, so if someone gets born again and they're not circumcised, should they get circumcised as a sign that they are now in covenant with God? And Paul says that doesn't matter that that's not the issue anymore, that you guys are, are, are still thinking like you're in the old covenant. There's a new covenant that we've made and it's not on the hearts, uh, it's not written in stone and it's not on the external, it's on the internal. So he says, don't worry about that. Let everyone just stay how they were when they got born again because that doesn't matter anymore. He actually says circumcision is nothing. In other words, those external things that used to be so important are no longer important anymore because you are now part of a new and better covenant based on better promises. Remember, Hebrews says a new and better covenant based on better promises, right? So this, he says, this is how you'll know. You don't have to circumcise them. They don't have to walk around with the circumcision so that you'll know that they are followers of God. This is how you'll know. They'll keep the commands of God. Which commands... Jesus gave the answer when they came to him and said, what are the most important commands? He said this, love God above all and love your neighbor of yourself. In order, in, in order to what Paul is saying here, or according to what Paul is saying here, that the distinguishing mark of Christians now would no longer be something that was marked on their body. It would be something that was stamped on their heart and they would love people. They would love God and they would love people and people would know when they saw the love that we have. Jesus said it. 
Jesus said, this is how all men will know that you're my disciples. How did he say it? By the circumcision on your body? No. He said, by your love for one another. In other words, something happens when we become born again and we love people because we love God and we understand that people are His children. And so we start to love people in a way that we never have before. Not just flatter people, not just manipulate people, not just love them when they can do something for us, not just love them when they love us first, not just love them in order to get something from them. That's flattery, that's manipulation, that's not love. Love is saying, I love you and I'll lay down my life for you even if in return all you do is spit at me. Because I don't love you based on what you do in return. I love you because I love you. I'm not going to stop loving you if you don't act the way that I think that you should act. But you know, I tried loving that, that person and they just were impossible to love. How silly would that sound coming out of Jesus' mouth if the first time He came and talked to you about becoming a child of His, you didn't answer back to Him the way He wanted you to. And He went to God and He said, well, I tried loving Him, God, but he didn't. He's impossible to love. It sounds really, really strange coming out of Jesus' mouth. It ought to sound just as strange coming out of ours. Well, I tried that love thing, but it just didn't work. Love always works. You may not see it, but it does. And you're not called to judge whether it's worth it to love. You're called to love because God called you to love. It's not about, well, I saw the result I wanted, so that was successful. I didn't see the result I wanted, so that wasn't successful. Love doesn't keep record of wrongs. It doesn't seek after its own. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love believes all things, bears all things, hopes all things. You can find something in somebody that you love that you can either believe, you can bear with, or you can hope for them. You can always love somebody because you can always find something in them that you can believe for them. You can always find something you can hope for them and you can always bear with them while they're being unlovable, not because you understand that they're acting that way because they don't know what it is to truly love or be loved. And there is a day coming when they'll understand that and when they reach that day and they start to respond in love, that's not success. Success was you being obedient and loving them before they did. Because that's what Jesus did. This is how we know that He loved us. That while we were yet sinners, He sent His Son to die for us. Not when we responded, then He loved us. Not God sent His Son so that He could love the world. God sent His Son because He loved the world. He didn't send Jesus to die for you so that He could love you. He sent Him to die for you because He loves you. Because before you responded in love and when you were acting unlovable and when you had your back turned to Him, He loved you anyways and He sent Jesus to die for you. Even with the chance that you would never accept it. So we pray for people, right? We speak the truth to people. We serve people. We lay down our lives for people. And this is how Jesus said people would know that you're my disciples, that you would love one another. You don't have to walk around naked for people to understand that you're in covenant with God anymore. All you have to do is live the life that He's called you to live and people will understand there's something different about you. And even if they don't know what it is, they'll want to know. I want what you have. How many of you guys have ever heard that in your life? I want what you have. Be honest. How many of you guys have ever heard that? How many of you have never had someone tell you they want what you have? It's, not, it's okay. It's not, this isn't to point out who you're not. It's to point out and excite you about who you're becoming, right? Has anyone here never had somebody tell them, I want what you have? Good. See, that's because you're living the life God called you to live, and when people see that, they want it. If you didn't raise your hand and that's true, don't feel bad, don't take condemnation. Just understand there's a place where you can find where living in God where people will actually desire what you have even if they don't know what it is. And just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Be excited about where you're going, not what hasn't happened yet. So... Everything in the old is always mirrored in the new. So I'm just going to wrap up with this. But So then is there a circumcision for the believer today? Turn in your Bibles to, to Romans 2.25. And then we're going to go to Colossians 2 after that. Romans 2.25. Because remember, everything that is in the old covenant is mirrored in the new covenant. The walls of blood in the old covenant is mirrored in the walls of blood in the new covenant. So here we go with circumcision. For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, 
will not this circum- uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? In other words, Paul was saying, listen, the only way it's valuable to you is if you're going to keep the entirety of the law. If you're going to bank on circumcision as being what enters you and, and seals the covenant that you have with God, then it's only useful to you if you're going to keep the whole rest of the other law. If you're going to keep every bit of the old covenant, then it's of value to you. And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he, he keeps the law, will, you not judge, will he not judge you who, though having the letter of the law and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law. In other words, listen, if somebody out there isn't circumcised, but they follow the law perfectly, aren't they going to look at you and think that your circumcision is of no value because it hasn't changed the way you live? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is the circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. In other words, listen, there's, when he uses the term Jew, he's talking about God's people. So this is, he's saying God's people are not those who are circumcised by human hands outwardly. It's those who are circumcised inwardly by the Spirit. And it's not that they need a physical mark in order to prove this because their praise isn't from men. In other words, men can't see your heart. They can't see the work of the Holy Spirit inside of you until you live it outwardly. And you're not doing it so that people will look at you and say, wow, that's amazing. You're doing it so that people will, will look at you and say, God's amazing, right? Because it's for the praise of not from men, but from God. So Colossians 2.8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in Him you have been made complete. And He is the head over all rule and authority. And in Him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him and baptized, in which you were also raised up with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So once again, we see the old brought into the new, but it's always better because we have a better covenant based on better promises. So what, what Paul is writing here is, listen, there still is a circumcision. There still is something that is cut. There still is a cutting of flesh in the new covenant, just like there was in the old covenant. But the cutting of flesh that is in the new covenant is done not by the hands of man, not by a doctor, but by the Spirit as He cuts the flesh away from your heart. It's the circumcision of the flesh. Why? Because now the flesh, which was hostile to God, is no longer what controls your life and you're actually free to live the life that God's called you to live. You're actually free to not just act like a different person, but to be a different person. Because your flesh has been circumcised by God, by the Spirit of God living within you. It's why, listen, and what's the sign of this circumcision, right? For us, it's a transformed life. The outward proof of circumcision of the heart, of the flesh, inside of us is a transformed life on the outside. It's that time when, when you do something that you used to be okay doing and now suddenly you feel guilt and pain. Why? That's a good thing. That's a sign that there's a circumcision that's happened. That you're not the person that you used to be. And even then you can turn when you start to feel guilty about something or you start to feel bad or you want to repent for something that you've done rather than allowing shame to come in. You can actually praise God and say, God, I thank you that I've been circumcised in my flesh and my heart and that I'm not the person that I used to be and the things that used to be so easy and didn't hurt me at all now make me tremble and cry. Because I'm different, I'm changed, my heart's been changed. God, I thank you for that. I thank you that I have a covenant with you that's better than the covenant that you made with old, with the old covenant. God, that I actually have you living and dwelling inside of me, that my flesh has been cut away, and that you've given me a new heart like you promised, God. And I thank you that, that things that I used to be okay doing, I'm no longer okay doing because I'm a changed person, because everything that was has passed away and all things have become new. That's the sign of a changed life. That's the sign of a, of a circumcised believer in Christ. He says this happened when you were baptized into Christ's death and raised into His life. That's why baptism is so important because it's not the actual act of going underwater. It's because in your mind and in your belief and what you're putting your heart on is this, that God, I am being lowered into the grave with Christ and the old me is dying and I'm being raised up and a new creation is coming up out of the water in Christ in covenant with you, God, sealed by the circumcision of the heart. And all things truly do pass away and everything becomes new.
God, I just I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, God, for this covenant we have with you, that it's everlasting. God, I pray that, that, that this, this covenant relationship that we have would allow us to live like David, where we look at things and we see things, not by our own strength and by our own hands, but we understand that because we're in covenant with you, everything's changed. God, that we don't stand there trying to calculate whether we can do what we're called to do by our own abilities or our own strengths, God, but that we understand that because we're in covenant with You, that all You have is ours, God, and You've said that. That You've made Yourself available to us. That You live and dwell inside of each and every one of us. God, I thank You for transformed lives. I thank You for changed hearts. God, I ask that You would just continue to open up to us what it is to be in this covenant relationship with You. God, that we would know what it is to actually be one flesh with You. Jesus said, unless you drink of My blood and eat of My flesh, that you have no life in Me. God, but if that's true, then if we have drank of His blood and ate of His flesh, that we do have life in Him. I thank You for that, God. I ask that You would continue to show us who we are in Christ, this new life that we've found. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, there's, there's so much in this that I could go through, and I'm going to next week talk about a few things that I didn't get to this week. But I just want to invite you guys and challenge you guys to try to be here every week for the teaching because it's going to, one thing's going to build off the other. And we're going to be talking about the exchange of names and the exchange of coats and robes and all those things that are covenant steps and that we take for granted here on earth, but they really are significant to God and what God was doing and what He meant by that and the promise that's held for us. So, so far, we've seen that in the walls of blood, we enter into a relationship with God that never ends, that is sealed because of the blood that's there. And they were making a promise to each other that if I violate this covenant, let it be done to me as I've done to these animals. And we've seen that, that there was a cutting of flesh. When was the cutting of flesh done on God's end? See, man cut flesh when Abraham cut the bull. When Abraham split them in half. So when, did, when was God's flesh cut? There's Jesus once again hanging on the cross. There's Jesus being beaten and bruised for our transgressions. And God, who becomes man, is cut. His very flesh is cut. It's amazing, you guys. Every single bit of it plays out in the New Covenant. And every single bit of it's important to us. And all of it leads us to understanding more of who we are in Christ and the promises that we have. So I just want to encourage you guys to try to be here if you can every week. If not, you can listen on the internet. I know a lot of us are out of town again this week, but it'll be on the internet. Listen to last week's if you weren't here for it. Um, and invite people to come because every week we're going to be talking about life-changing truth of what people have in, in God and who they've been called to be and what it is to live as a new creation in Christ. Um, so we love you guys. Our prayer team is going to be up here right now. If you need prayer for anything in your body, healing, just peace, if you've been struggling with something in your mind, if you've been battling something, if you, you just need to be prayed over, if you're facing a big decision and you don't know which way to go and you want wisdom, these people are filled with the Holy Spirit and they would love to lay their hands on you and pray for you and speak the wisdom of God over your lives. So I encourage you, don't leave here needing to be prayed for by anything. Um, and find some people that you don't know. Say hey to them. We have one person that we have to... I hate doing this, um, but I love doing this. Um, there's a girl here named Karim who is leaving. She's heading out into the mission field. Yeah. So we want to pray for Karim as she leaves. So if you could come up here, Karim, we're going to lay hands on you and pray over you. Um, it, it, we do this all the time, and I hate it. It's like, man, some people should just stay. All right? But, but, but we have to expect that people are always going to be sent. And, uh, and we love that and we're excited for that, even as we're sad for them leaving. So um, would you guys just extend your hands towards Karim? If you want to come up and lay hands on her, you're welcome to. Um, as we pray over her, God, I thank you for Karim. I thank you for her life. God, I thank you that, that not by hands of man, God, but by your spirit, there's been a change in her life, God, and that it's evident on the outside. God, I thank you that her actions reflect the relationship she has with you, God, and how much she loves you because of how she loves people. I ask, God, that as she goes, you would just open up every door for her, God, that she would walk through it. God, for all the things that you promised in Ephesians that she would walk in because of your promise for her. God, I ask for favor over her life as she goes, that she would be blessed, God, as she goes and blessed as she comes. God, that she'd be blessed in the field and blessed in the city, that she would be above only and not beneath, the head and not the tail. 
God, I thank you for your promises over her life. I thank you for your protection over her life. I thank you that her trust and her obedience of you only continues to grow as she falls more and more in love with you and people. God, I thank you for the testimony that will come forward from her life. I thank you for the people's lives who will be touched and changed because of your power in her. I thank you for that, God, and I ask you that she would know how loved and blessed she is by this church as she goes. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Our prayer team's up here, you guys. If you need prayer for anything, come get prayed for. If not, find some people you don't know. Say hey to them, and um, we'll see you guys back here next week.